WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. Uh, and this week's guests are the writers of DC Comics Wonder Woman and uh, Midnighter, uh, Becky Clunan and Michael Conrad. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. It's uh, It's been a long time coming and I'm glad that it's here. Feels really good. All right. Uh, so, uh, First time question for first time guests. Uh, what are some of the first comics that you each remember reading? Ooh, that's a really great question. Do you want to field that one? I feel yeah, like it was you a, know. a Silver Surfer. Uh, it was an annual number. I think it was an annual number one, maybe from 1988. Um, he, he, the Super Scroll was involved. I was eight years old. Uh, my dad got it because he was a big Silver Surfer fan and he read it to me as a bedtime story. And after that, I was like, super invested in like the Cree scroll war like as if it was current events and you know of course became obsessed with like mantis and shalabal and nova and like they're amazing cast of characters like wild space ideas and little know. did you know how much uh, modern current events would, would kind of uh, <laughs> reflect that early education yeah that's good yeah that was it that was my first time <clears throat> Yeah, for my first comic, it, it was weird because there were a couple of scattered comics that kind of just showed up in my world, and I'm not sure exactly where they came from. <clears throat> but when I think about the earliest, earliest stuff, it was definitely like cartoons in the Sunday paper. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of sprouted out to be, here's a couple bucks, run over to the Hallmark store, get yourself something to read. And it would usually be like an EC comic. It would be um, Tales from the Crypt or Vault of Horror or something like that. Something where I knew that it was going to be, you know, here's a couple like hit or quitter. Uh, like you get four stories for the price of one kind of thing. Um, so that was very exciting for me. The very first like proper comic I remember reading was a Fantastic Four comic, and it was the first appearance of Adam Warlock, which was like, I want to say it was like Fantastic Four number 16 or something. You know, it was some crazy young, small number. And I had the first printing of it. And of course, by the time I was done with it, it was like stapled back together and it was all beat up. And now I look up... Uh, its value and I'm grossed out by what I did as a child to the comic <laughs> but yeah it, uh, Fantastic Four that's what I'll go with that and Calvin and Hobbes yeah. let's go yeah absolutely uh, if it's any consolation Michael uh, just recently I saw like 1.0 and 2.0 uh, graded comics in a, in a slab I, I, I think it, I think the slab is the only thing keeping them together at that point. But you know, if I still had that comic, I would absolutely get it slabbed just so that it was like, oh, here's like a document of a really critical period in my life. I used to care. I had like I own maybe twenty comics, and I would carry them around in this cardboard briefcase. I remember that. It was a piece of junk, but I would bring it to school. I'd bring it everywhere with me. It was a weird look for kids. Yeah. It was, it, it, <laughs> Becky and I grew up in the same small hometown in southern New Hampshire. Oh, wow. And it was, it was a really strange look for a kid to walk around <laughs> with a backpack and all the usual 
um, elementary school ephemera, but also a, a weird briefcase that was made out of cardboard with a fake uh, leather binding to it. But all my comics were in there and I never wanted them anywhere but by my side. You know, it, it, it's good. You were showing people, look, I'm a professional comics reader. This is my professional briefcase. You know, <laughs> we all grew up in the age of like Encyclopedia Brown, where children were expected to be like boy detectives or, or you know, weird shit like that. Yeah. So that that that's how you that's how you stake your claim. <laughs> I definitely felt special because I had a briefcase, and I thought that it was the. I didn't have a trench coat, but I wanted a trench coat. It was only years later and in the late nineties when I was getting out of high school that I realized maybe a trench coat isn't the good look for a school age child. Um, But yeah, I I loved carrying this briefcase with me. And later on, it wasn't just the briefcase. There was also like a whole bunch of like magic, the gathering cards that I would carry in an, in another container in another bag entirely. So I had my, you know, my educational backpack full of, you know, studying texts and things of that nature. And then I had a briefcase full of comics and then another bag full of Magic the Gathering cards. So I was turning into a bit of a, it was, it was getting out of, it was getting out of hand. Too many fandoms. Good thing I was into like metalworking. (laughs) It was into metalworking. I would have been carrying around like a like a soldering iron iron and (laughs) all kinds of other things like a hammer and an anvil really have uh become an impressive citizen but no i I mean a welder's mask would be a good like affect for for all of that just walking (laughs) around i mean if i had access to one i'm sure i would have worn it I'm, i'm sure Thank, thank goodness uh, my parents weren't involved in any like skilled trades. My, my mother was a writer. My father worked in like quality assurance or my father worked in quality assurance for a, uh, for like a machining company. So there wasn't access to like a cool welder's mask or something. But if one was around, I surely would have co-opted it. <laughs> So uh, we're recording this episode the Monday before the finale of your initial arc on Wonder Woman wraps. Uh, The stories feature Diana on a tour of DC's God Realms, After Lives, After Lives, not sure how the plural of that goes, and Multiverse, uh, trying to get home to Prime Earth while also trying to stop half of the God Janus from resetting reality. Uh, How did the Wonder Woman gig come about? That kind of came out of uh, Future State uh, when Future State was in its just a twinkle in the eye. Um, I suppose Jamie S. Rich tapped us to do a Midnighter story, and uh, we were like involved in a lot of like the pre-planning, like meetings and stuff like that. And one day he was just—I think he was just looking for someone to do the the Wonder Woman, the Future State Wonder Woman book. And I think he just liked the ideas that we were bringing to the table with uh, Midnighter. And so he's like, do you guys want to work on the Wonder Woman for Future State as well? And we did. And um, Jim Bartel drew it, phenomenal, like, artist. And that went so well. I think they were just like, hey, do you just want to keep doing this? Like, for, yeah, you <laughs> for can a re- while. <laughs> you can really tell that Becky's like a seasoned pro. Because when I tell this story, it's it's a little bit different. It's um, 
Jamie made the error of saying, <laughs> oh, we want, like, as part of this initiative, we would like to tell a story of Diana in the future. And the minute I heard, oh, there's a there's an opportunity, and, and the opportunity involves Wonder Woman, one of the most important characters in comics, I immediately latched onto it, and following that meeting, I sat down and I kind of clacked out a rough idea, and I was like, Becky, I, th I think we can pitch this. Becky took a look at it and was like, you're, you're fucking nuts, man. Like, they aren't <laughs> going to go for this. Um, but she also saw the same thing that the editors would see, which was that uh, we had a pretty dynamic idea of what we wanted to do. <clears throat> and Becky and I collaborating on it created something that um, we, we knew it was pretty special at the time. We didn't realize how special it was until we were doing this like online Brazilian comic con thing um, that was hosted by Jamie, our, our then editor on the future state work. And it was during this thing, he, right before we went live, because it was a it was a live recording. He was like, OK, so we're going to talk about like Midnight Air and we're going to talk about uh, the future state Wonder Woman storyline. Then like toward the end of it, we're going to announce that y'all are, are going to be writing the Wonder Woman ongoing. And I damn near fell out. You know, I was like, what? Like, I knew that it was like a possibility, but that was kind of how I found out about it. And Becky, like I say, Becky is a seasoned pro. I'm not seasoned. I was just like, he doesn't, ah. he doesn't believe anything ever is going to happen until he sees it like in print and it's in his hand. <laughs> right. Until the comps come show up at the door. Like it's just an idea. Uh, once you see it and you feel it and you know that it's there, um, it becomes brilliant and spectacular. And to be like part of this, this convention that I knew a lot of people were going to be looking at online and to have this editor that we really respected be like, yeah, these, these people are going to be the ones writing it. Uh, it was shocking, but we were ready for it and we were glad to be there. So, um, you know, to, especially with the, you know, the infinite frontier storyline, you know, uh, DC has been really hard up for like multiverse stuff lately. Uh, you know, when the talks first started about you guys doing the ongoing after future state, you know, did they say to you, we want you to do a multiverse story or did you have a pitch in mind for already for Diana kind of traveling through all these worlds? Well, we, we knew coming out of death metal, Diana was going to be in a weird place because she had sacrificed herself um, to like save the world. And now she's, she's ostensibly dead. Um, and so we got to pick up kind of in this weird spot where it's like, well, we can do anything with her really. Um, and we knew her 80th anniversary was coming up. Um, so we had like this much, you know, X amount of time to do like a, a weirdo story, like weirder than normal because, you know, she's dead. <laughs> And so the, the original thought was just, oh, she wakes up in the wrong afterlife, which was the original like high concept of the whole thing. And the multiverse stuff just spun out of that. It was like pretty easy to tie to like, what, well, why is she in the wrong afterlife? Well, it's like, well, then she gets to Olympus. Well, what, why, why didn't she go there? And what, what's happened in Olympus? And then it became like, 
figuring out this story that it just made itself. So there wasn't really much direction at all from DC. So I'm glad that we're doing things right. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really was. Um, the initial spark for it was this idea of, okay, she is ascended. What do you do with that? Uh, it would have been really easy just to be like, oh, let's go to Olympus. Like, readers of Wonder Woman are very familiar with that world mm -hmm. and with what that means and the characters that are there. And we could have spent X amount. We're, this storyline is nine issues, which is damn near unheard of in comics today outside of the ind independent sphere to do it with the big two. Mm -hmm. <sighs> like it, it gives me like anxiety, like reflecting on like, oh my goodness. Like, why did like, what are we doing? Like, why did we do that? We did it because they were double shipping. <laughs> We did it. Yeah, we 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 thought, we thought this is going to be a quick little romp. You know, we'll oh, do God. a little thing, and then come October, October twenty first, I think is um, Wonder Woman's eightieth anniversary. We're like, come October, we'll be six issues in, perfect. Like <laughs> that's a banger arc, and then we're kind of back to a status quo, and we can. We can build off of that. And I don't know when this is going to go live, but I'm going to assume that Next everyone week. is like super on top of things and that they've read 779. So I'm not spoiling anything to say um, Wonder Woman will be back home for her birthday. She'll like things are going to feel maybe more like what you would expect from a Wonder Woman, Woman comic. But we had to put her on this odyssey. We weren't expecting it to go on as long as it did, but we're so incredibly thankful that it did because it allowed us to, I mean, we compressed a lot into these stories and it like, sometimes it's like, dang, uh, one of the big pieces of feedback that we hear is like, Oh, I wish you spent more time here, there, or the other place. And it's like, Man, we're trying to show you an odyssey. You know? Time we're is trying the thing that we don't have. We're trying to show you a big journey, <laughs> but we're also like trying to do it with a gun to our head that's saying, hey, you have a plan for what you want to do for your 80th anniversary, and it's going to be big, and it's going to be beautiful. Um, so let's kind of like, let's compress this a little bit, and let's just make it, crazy and make it fun and make it weird and it was great to do because the um because it was double shipping which is like a blessing and a curse uh travis moore couldn't commit to and he's like just the best one like incredible next level artist. artist anything that he does pick it up yeah and tamara bonhoon coloring him it's just like this beautiful like we were so best in, best in the game we specifically requested we were like i was like if we don't get tamara on this book i'm gonna throw a tantrum and i would have <laughs> done that for sure <laughs> uh but because he couldn't you know he could do four issues and then he's like well then i'm gonna need a break and then come back for like x amount of issues the double shipping is just too much for one person to like do okay. You know, so that put us in the opportunities of, well, we're going to have to have different artists. And then who do we want drawing these books? Um, who can we get? Who's available? And then it, it, the multiverse thing just kind of spiraled out of that almost, too, because we can tell these different stories, different types of stories, like with different artists 
who really like shine in that environment. So mm -hmm. the whole thing was just like a, a cool, like, I kind of can't believe we got away with it kind of feeling, which yeah, is a great feeling to have. It's, it's forever going to feel <laughs> like, uh, you know, there aren't too many times where you can work with the, with the giant company and say, Hey, we want to do a story in fairyland with Jill Thompson painting the whole thing. And for a major publisher on a major title to say, okay, yeah, we're going to step outside of the house style and we're going to allow this thing to kind of live and breathe. And that's in huge part <clears throat> a testament to the editorial group that we're working with, um, kind of believing in our vision and knowing, knowing the big strokes of the thing, knowing where we want to go with it and knowing that... Um, we aren't just showing up being like, oh, we want to we want to do a freak out the whole time, knowing that there's something connecting all nine parts together and that when it's all done, hopefully um, people will see like, oh, there there's a real through line here. And there's there there's a story that was told um, in in many, many different pieces with many, many different people playing a role in it but it all adds up to being this one greater whole and this one beautiful thing. And we're, you know, as creators, you look forward to seeing, oh, how's this going to read collected? Oh, the like, trade's going to be so thick. The trade's going to be a chunky boy <laughs> and it's going to look and feel very strange because it'll have Travis and Andy and Emanuela and, and, and Jill yeah. and just a variety of different incredible creators all kind of showing up and and dancing to the same beat so yeah it's um not a huge not a huge amount of overthink not a whole lot <laughs> they were kind of like this is a book that um could use some new juice to it what you got and we showed up and we were like how about we go way off the rails and into the woods with it for a second <laughs> and then we'll reel it back in later yeah and don't forget, a couple pages in there by some artist, Becky something or other. I, I think she's going to oh. be big. Who? Who? <laughs> yeah. yeah. She, if she funny. keeps working at it, uh, she yeah. could even like draw an entire comic one day. Who knows? <laughs> if she keeps, if she stays really focused. Uh, yeah. And that is one thing I, I wanted to mention, you know, in addition to, to writing, you know, you're both artists, you've both, you've both drawn comics you know, and now you're working with, I, I mean, you know, Michael, you rattled off the list. That's some, that's some talent right there. Uh, you know, have, having art in your, in your respective backgrounds, how did that give, do you feel like that gave you a leg up or at least change how you interacted with all the different artists that you've worked with on this, on this uh, chunky boy of an arc? Yeah, I think, I think it does because, um, for me, and this, the dynamic is different for Becky because Becky, her first discipline was in visual art. And then um, she's developed and she, she was always a storyteller, always a writer, but she's like developed into that. Uh, for me, I always, my first identity was as a writer. My second identity was as an illustrator because I was struggling to find people who were willing to work with me and, and do the things that I wanted to do. So it was really like kind of through Becky being like, Hey, 
why like just draw it yeah, <laughs> like just, even if you don't draw well like why don't you just draw it just man? draw the comic how yeah. hard could it be <laughs> if you believe in your words like just go ahead and draw it um so for me it's more about and i and i imagine this is true for becky as well but i don't want to speak for her for me it's about seeing this beautiful thing that somebody can can do you, you know you send over a bunch of uh words it it's it's like casting a spell you know it's like hey here's a page of of symbols those symbols arrange into words and those words will arrange themselves in your brain and and turn into images and then travel down through your hand into your pen or whatever and then they show up on a page and then all of a sudden it shows up in my email inbox and i'm like oh yeah that's totally what i meant and it's way better it's way better because it's it becomes less of this insular messed up idea and becomes a shared experience with somebody that you trust we're lucky to have worked only with artists that are next level like out of control have like so weird knowing that they've looked at things that i've been a part of writing and have um adapted it and expanded and and bloomed out of it um so for me it's more of an admiration for the gamesmanship that goes on when it's like oh man i i just sent over a thing and i try and keep the pages like five panels or less and but every now and then it's like oh i gotta chuck in an extra panel or two and uh, you feel bad about it or you're like hey this happens in a in a big old building and the, or there's a whole crowd of people or, or these gross things that no artist wants to see and see how they just show up every time and they're continuing to show up uh in 779 and beyond it's only going to get harder we we were really lucky to be able to be working in these worlds where it's like you're in you're in Asgard. There's a bunch of trees and some snow. Like, good luck with it. <laughs> now it's now moving forward where we're going to bring Diana back to Earth Prime. Uh, it's like... It's like three o'clock in Washington, D.C. Yeah. It's like, you're going to have to Google good, that. Good luck. <laughs> good luck. Here's some, like, actual places and, so, and, like, infrastructure and cars and all the other gross things that aren't fun to draw for becky i'm sure it was a bit different she's got a, a strong sense for when we're putting something down uh in a script uh being being kind to the artist and there's a fun anecdote about <laughs> tartarus that i love to bring up tartarus. do you remember this um, i think i do it involved chains oh yeah and it's like someone's chained it. there's like a billion chains or something and I changed it to ropes in yeah. the scripts and Michael's like why'd you change that and I was like well no one wants to draw chains like a million chains like you can if you want but I think ropes would just be easier I didn't want the, <laughs> the I didn't want the artist if you're beholden to have to draw a billion tiny little links in this giant and to me that was such I like that's such chains, an, he, he ended up doing chains but I thought it was such like a meaningful and a learned Thing. I know because I know sometimes like as an artist you get caught in the weeds sometimes when there's like you know you want to depict what's in the script as faithfully as you can to the best of your ability so part of that is to understand like who what artist am I working with 
Um, how do they tell a story? What are their strengths so we can play to them? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, some of it is in like the way that I would word a panel. Sometimes I like to put like, what are the most important things in the panel? Do that first. Mm-hmm. And then like describe, like try to, if someone's happy, like say that they're happy, but also like maybe describe like another secondary emotion. So it's like, if you're getting, you know, you're not just happy. It's like, here's why they're happy. Like just to give the artist a reason to care about what's happening in the script. So yeah, that's, you know, I remember I've worked with some great writers. So I had, a, I think I had a leg up when it came to like writing scripts, <laughs> but a lot of it just comes from like remembering, you know, when I was doing monthly books, which I don't know if I have the energy to do a monthly book anymore. So much work. So yeah, I just, um, I try and channel all that stuff. And for, and for me, that was a big learning experience to be around someone who has worked in a professional capacity doing monthly books for the big two and beyond and knowing, okay, this is what's going to streamline a script for you. I think many people like me kind of grew up being a student of the, not even necessarily the person, but the idea of an Alan Moore. And you hear, oh, Alan Moore describes everything in the panel and everything has meaning. And like the time on the clock and the position of bottles on the table. It's all like this esoteric thing that you can decode. And, and each panel is one whole page of just solid text. And it kind of is, if you look at it, some of his old scripts. Mm-hmm. And I remember many, many years ago sending Becky over some scripts being like, hey, I want to write comics. And like, here's what I'm working on. And she was like, listen, you aren't Alan Moore. You aren't Grant Morrison. (laughs) Calm down. Slow down. Try and tell something that makes sense. Did I say that? Yeah. I mean, you were kinder than that, but you're like, tell something that makes sense. Go smaller. Take it in. Think about the characters. Think about their motivations. Think about their feelings. What's their motivation? Yeah. And um, that's really stayed true for me. I I love Graham Morrison. I love Alan Moore. I love anyone with the last name that begins with an M. Uh, (laughs) But uh, the fact remains, like, we're trying to tell stories that, that do something to you on an emotional level as well as a cognitive level. We want you to be um, perplexed and to be confused at times and to feel like, you, oh, okay, now I, now I get it. Now I'm catching up. That's part of the fun of, of literature. That's part of the fun of, um, you know, sequential art. Um, but to create this like dense fog of confusion and nastiness even for the artist that's working on the thing is not it's not the move that's not that's not what's going to move you forward so to anyone who wants to write comics at home uh take it from becky uh you aren't grant morrison you are <laughs> ellen moore write something that feels good and that kind and then of, and then draw it yeah and draw yeah draw learn, learn how difficult it is it's that but it's so important if you draw a comic you start understanding like here's how much I can fit on a page you know Mm. even if you're even if your draftsmanship is rudimentary or you think it's crude as long as you can like you know show what's going on like even just thumb like rough thumbnails it's so it'll change the way you think about comics like when you start 
writing them visually, I think. For me, you know, as an artist, I think that was true, but it just, that's how I know what fits on a page or like how many beats can you fit on this page or like what's the emotional core of this page or, you know, what happens on the page turn. It's like very visual in my mind. So I would just, I would suggest anyone who doesn't draw a comic because they feel that they can't draw, that's a bad excuse because you can draw. And it's an ongoing process too. You discover uh, after creating something like, oh, I could have given that like a little more air. I could have like backed off on some of this. Um, but yeah, that's part of the process. You know, you just keep keep getting sicker every day, baby. Going. So uh, I remember when DC was rolling out uh, Future State uh, in the long ago time of of last year, sometime. Uh, you know, one of my initial reactions at seeing sort of all the the titles was, "Holy shit, Jen Bartel interiors on on Wonder hmm. Woman." Uh, you know, and, and for me, it was the the that Jill Thompson go, coming back to Wonder Woman and doing fairy. That's just like, boom. <laughs> so Good. you know, the 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 question that I want to ask is like, do you guys get starstruck by by your creative partners when you find out you're you know you're going to be working with this person on a project? For sure, yeah, definitely. And I think some of it is like you know I'm friends with Jill and I'm friends with Jen. So there is that level of like friendship, but also like I'm a big fan too. So there's that element of me that's like, fuck yeah, Jen Bartel, you know, here we go. Just getting like, you know, Jill would send over pictures, like text me pictures of uh, the pages she was like painting and working on while she was doing it. And I was like, just dying, dying. It's so good. It's so fun to work with people that you like and people who are amazing. Um, So we're super lucky. In that respect, Michael lost his shit over Jill Thompson. Oh yeah, um, Jill, Jill Thompson. <laughs> I love Jen. Uh, Jen Bartell. Uh, you know, I knew how lucky we were with Immortal to have her on board. I was like, well, we could write trash. You know, she's gonna make it look awesome. Like, we knew that she was work- she was um, drawing it before we even started. Like mm-hmm. we had like pitched the idea of Wonder Woman at the end we of time. Had, we had like the page beats down, and then they're like, "Oh, we got we got Jen to do it," and, and it was she was like, like our number one choice oh, for artist. Um, it, it just meant we're gonna gear this whole thing toward her. Yeah. Like, so like knowing she was drawing it, it's like, oh, I know exactly like how the script mm-hmm. is gonna go. Like knowing that she, it was just so easy to picture in my head. Like, and what a perfect collaborator. Um, just in terms of her passion for the work. Uh, Similar to me, she had done interior work and had written mainstream comics before, but for both of us, it kind of felt like a a special moment. And it was a moment that we shared. And I'm so thankful that it was with her and not with someone else because we were able to really click on that. and, And it was very meaningful and, to know, oh, we just got this like hardbound thing that was like 80 years of Wonder Woman. I don't know if it's out yet, but it was like a comp that we didn't know that we were going to get. It just showed up. And I was like, oh, this is sick. Like this has got like old school stuff in it, flipping through it and this and that. And when I got to the very end of it, it's the entirety of Immortal Wonder Woman like in this hardbound 
80 years of Wonder Woman thing, like in there with all the greats, all the, like every, like you name somebody, Phil Jimenez, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Rucka, Gail Simone, like George Perez, George Perez like it, the, from the oldest to the newest, it's like the best of the best. And then we're in there as like the bookend of it. And I was like, oh, my God, like, I feel like I'm going to die right now. Uh, <laughs> what have we done? Like, we, did we ruin this or is this like good? <laughs> and just the other night, I was um, I was looking forward in Wonder Woman. And I was like, let me flip through this thing and see if anything uh, ignites like a, uh, some imagination. And I took off the dust cover because I didn't want to mess it up while I was flipping through it. And even on the hardbound cover, there's like Jen Bartel and, and Becky's covers what? for the respective issues. I was like, oh my God, Look, don't yet. do me like this. <laughs> like, that's so wild. Um, so yeah, that was very big. And it was very meaningful to have Jen be a part of that with Jill though. And this is no, this is not to dismiss the qualities of working with Travis or Andy or Emanuela or, or any of the great artists that we've worked with. But with Jill, it was really, really special because I've always just adored her art in a way that is almost unhealthy. I loved her stuff in Invisibles. I loved it. Yeah, it's in, got all the Invisibles back here yeah, next to the Doom Patrol. Loved it in Invisibles. <laughs> loved it in Sandman. Loved, loved it in her own creator, own work. But I remember specifically, I was trying to get a friend into Invisibles and he like, I lent him a bunch of issues and he was like, I'm just not into the artwork. And it was some Jill issues. And I was like, dude, I don't know if we're going to be friends anymore. <laughs> give me my give me my comics back. Like, I don't know you. <laughs> what is this? So, so getting to work with Jill, um, it was pie in the sky. You know, we were like, hey, we want to do a story in fairy. And could Jill do it? Yeah, we really wanted an endless story, but it's all the game and stuff is a little like difficult, even though it's part of the multiverse, I guess, on a technical level, maybe. Straight kinda, up, sorta. but like DC, it's in DC's best interest to treat Neil Gaiman well. Yeah, we would treat him well. well we, we would treat him well, but I don't think they even asked him. I, could, I should have asked him. I should have sent him to his DMs and be like, no, you I don't think they were going to reach out to him. <laughs> so even yeah. with regard to fairy, like we call it L fame and it's, we were careful not to step too hard on his territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, spiritually, same thing. Uh, Jill in there, giving it like she always gives it. Uh, I geeked. I, I lost my stuff on professional emails. I was just <laughs> oozing and bleeding being like, I can't believe you. <laughs> you're here for this like what do i gotta do uh yeah so big stuff like very powerful women being a part of wonder woman like that's what it's all about very cool stuff absolutely uh and 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 certainly not uh again not to diminish the other artists also uh i was just i was gonna say like andy mcdonald uh he put out one of my favorite books this year and i breathed the body and i feel like he was yeah perfect choice for graveyard of the gods because that was like uh, you know it, it, it's just set dressing designed to to, to squick you the hell out so yeah loved it. yeah 
such a his like draftsmanship is ridiculous so meticulous as an artist um so like powerful um almost severe you know but so like there's something so inviting about his pages too like at the same time um i just love his storytelling yeah i really and to follow up travis i was like i don't know if i could do it's that. it's an impossible <laughs> chore uh we knew it was going to be tough and i think he really earned his stripes by showing up in a big bad way i met andy in cleveland just before covid and it was one of those wild things where it was like we did a convention together and then we were hanging out like at a bar afterward becky knew him and was like you and andy are going to get along really well i gotta go home i've known andy since i was like maybe 19 or something like we we lived in new york we did a lot of like indie comic shows and stuff. she set up a mandate she knew like oh michael and andy are really gonna hit it off and sure enough we did like we wept in each other's arms like just talking about like they cried in the snow together and with good reason there is like man we like we dug deep and i was just like i think i'm gonna know you for the rest of my life or something and he was like i hope so and then i hopped in a lift and went home or to the place that we were staying months later covid had hit everything was on its head i got asked to do a thing for like a fundraiser comic and it was a thing where I was going to tell a story about Theseus in, in the Minotaur. Uh, and I hit up Andy and I said, hey, would you do this like four page thing with me? And he was like, oh, yeah, for sure. We had already done a one page thing for another fundraiser. So it was like, you know, we, we figured out like, OK, we kind of work together. All right. So we did this thing based on Greek mythology And then we get the Wonder Woman job and we knew, okay, this is going to be an Olympus and that Travis is, can't do everything. He's he's a human being. Andy had just finished I Breathed a Body. Andy had just finished I Breathed a Body. But he was like on the slick working on something else. Like something that I'm like not in a place to talk about. Okay. This Wonder Woman thing popped up and I was like, Andy, like, can you do like, an issue of wonder woman it turned into two issues yeah originally it was a one thing <clears throat> we were going to get someone else to do the graveyard but they just seemed like the two stories just because they, they were felt too they, they were connected so we um, were like can you do both of these hey i hit up andy and little did i he was like absolutely dude part of it was friendship the other thing is like oh i get to draw wonder woman for sure i'm there um so little did I know he was drawing these issues while he was doing another comic. So he was going full on full tilt boogie. Like I'm going to do this comic and another comic at the same time. And I'm happy to say that Andy, it's not the last time that Andy's going to do wonder woman stuff with us. Like he's, um, he's going to be doing the annual with us as well. So it'll be really exciting to see, uh, see Andy come back and do like kind of a more conventional Wonder Woman story something a little bit more grounded but also man Andy knows how to do creepy (laughs) weird fun things so uh, yeah we'll manipulate that as well (laughs) so uh to the to an outside observer again you know Wonder Woman shifts twice a month that feels like an intense turnaround time uh you know how do you keep 
uh, you know, a rotating artist aside, like we've already talked about, you know, how do you kind of keep with from getting overwhelmed with that pace? That um, it helps that there's two writers on board. Um, you know, Wonder Woman, I think we've gotten into like, we've kind of hit a stride with it where we just, the ideas come pretty easily and the, you know, we figured out more about like, you know, the, the plots falling into place and characterization and stuff like that. Stuff that when you start, things are a little rocky while you're like figuring it out, you know, and it's like a new editorial team that you're working with. So there's all these things that kind of slow it down in the very beginning. But as you work, like as the issues roll on, things just speed up. Um, we were pretty far ahead when we started, I think, so that we we got a head start, thank goodness. Um, and because the, the deadlines were kind of tight, like we knew it going in that there was like, we just can't be late on these. So yeah, we just turn it around kind of quick, I guess. Yeah, I think part of it is we, we get excited about stuff and it's like okay we don't need to wait for a deadline we're we're gonna dive in we've talked it to death uh let's execute on these ideas and make sure that they're as cool as we can make them and especially now like um you finish up a nine-part storyline and it's it's like such a breath of fresh air to be like okay like we we did that like now we can we can ease off and here's a new set of problems and here's uh, something that might be, our next storyline is gonna be significantly shorter um, with good reason because there's really incredible things that are gonna be revealed in the coming months about Wonder Woman. Um, so it's, it's exciting to experiment with different ways of telling stories. Similarly, like with Midnighter, we were dealing with like eight pages a month and it changed the way that you, that you come to a story, your expectations of what you're going to be able to accomplish, but also you're constantly pushing that and being like, okay, I think we can, I think we can move this agenda forward a little bit more if we just add in one panel on this page. And yeah, it's, it's really been a, an edu education to, to experience these different types of tempos for storytelling. Um, yeah, I don't know if I feel like I got like way off of the question, but damn, that was some valuable stuff. <laughs> Pure gold. <laughs> so you included Dead Man as a regular supporting character in the book, who's a character that I really like um what made dead man a fit for this story i i love his blue collar attitude juxtaposed with diana's more regal okay. one personally good I, i'm so glad that you, i'm so glad that you're into that because that's something that we thought would be fun and something that we thought would be appropriate when you're dead man and you're able to access access a bunch of different consciousness at a variety of different times and different skill sets and educations, it made sense to us that like at some point you would become like the coolest person in the world. You'd be super <laughs> grounded and you'd just be like, oh yeah, I'm like super enlightened. I've experienced everyone's thing. But you would also not stop being surprised because each individual has their own limitations of like what they, what they would expect out of life. 
So Dead Man's kind of like that perfect crossroad of being super intelligent, super like on point, but also being literally the everyman, the every woman, the person who is like, you die and I might get a chance to like jump in and, and catch some of that flavor. And that might inform me about certain things and it might limit me in other ways to bring him into Diana's story was in part to add a grounding factor. And in another part, um, we had the specter play kind of a critical role in, uh, in, in immortal. Yeah. And we knew that the specter we, well, we found out that the specter was going to be like a pretty significant part of infinite frontier uh, he's going to be off the table. So we were like, okay, who's somebody else who like kind of can do similar things. And, and we came across, I've always loved dead man. So I was like, Oh, let's do dead man. And it ended up working even better because I don't think the specter is super cool. I love the specter. I'll write the specter till I'm blue in the face. The specter's like the ghost of the Christmas future. He's just like this yeah. spooky, like, you know, I think he, to be a guide to the afterlife, if the specter was your afterlife It would have been way different. It would have been very different. It would have been, been like, somber and woe scary. upon me. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> super spooky, just scaring Diana all the time. So to have Dead Man be there and for him to be like, whoa, this is weird. Like, this is unbelievable. Uh, it's an opportunity for for me as the writer and for me as the reader to to be like to be that kind of um that chorus of being like isn't this weird like like <laughs> this is strange but also for him to be able to to guide diana because he's got like a book a book knowledge of this stuff you know it's like okay yeah, this is i i recognize this piece of the, the afterlife or of the multiverse i know roughly how to function here uh but it's my maybe my first time ever being here like what a what a fun thing and i think as readers like many of us are feeling kind of the same way like oh it's my first time ever like really going to the fifth dimension like i knew that's where oh, that like, that's where mixy and bad might live but like to go there and to hang out there for a second, even though ours was like kind of a, a weird kind of, uh, I don't know, like a bit of a parody type of situation. Uh, I think that's how that world works. And I think it was fun. And I think to have people like dead man around to be able to kind of comment on that and experience it along with us within the story um, is critical. I love dead man. Like this when we're done with our run, which I don't know when it'll be, uh, people will be like, oh, yeah, that's like Dead Man's, uh, that was like a cool Dead Man run. Because <laughs> <laughs> we don't want him to go anywhere. We're so, we're in love with like what he brings and how, what an oddball pairing. He's such is. a good foil for Diana too. Like you said, he's so casual. Um, I think coming back to Earth, you know, that's just, I don't know. I don't think you go on a crazy trip. Like if you went to Cancun with somebody that you barely knew and had a 
had such a wild time and you got stung by like a, a like a man of war jellyfish and they <laughs> had to pee on you to keep you from like burning to them <laughs> uh, you wouldn't lose touch with them and we're trying to honor that with uh with the story <laughs> It's dead man peed on Diana. Now they're forever, <laughs> they're forever together. And there goes my job. Spoilers for issue cool. 779. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool working on uh, Wonder Woman. And then I said that. Yeah. Uh, so as you talked about earlier, you got to explore all manner of worlds in this arc. Olympus, Asgard, the fifth dimension, uh, were there any worlds you had thought about but didn't find the space for either due to time or because they wound up feeling like they didn't quite fit this particular story? Um, yeah, for sure. Definitely. We were using the, um, the Grant Morrison's multiverse map, basically, sure. and being like, we want to go here, 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 and here, here. And I feel like there was like maybe a couple places that were off the table when we started. Sandman Universe was one of them. Can't use any of the endless stuff. That was kind of a bummer. Um, we we avoided anything that might have, and hopefully we we succeeded. We we didn't want to do anything that would feel insensitive to people who were like active um, practitioners of a religious faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't want to be like, oh, like let's go to Mesoamerican gods or to or like the Hindu afterlife. Hindu afterlife. Like, we, well, let's stay. Yeah. Let's stick with like the dead. You know, no one practices yeah. this anymore. Because so. as like kind of privileged white folks in the in the West, uh, we might look at certain other cultural beliefs and think like, oh, that's a neat mythology. But there's actually people out there who are believing in this and it would be similar to if we were like and here is wonder woman like fighting with christ to see if she can like go on to the next after it would just be kind of kind of weird and not right so as interesting and compelling as some of these ideas were and um in the interest of making sure that people felt comfortable with what we're doing we made the hard and fast rule right off the top. Uh, let's let's try not to address these afterlifes that people are are hoping for or expecting or um, exist. Some of it was like determined by you know as uh, Janus moves forward in her quest to get to Earth. The idea was like you get every dimension that she hops to is like one closer to an Earth like. You know, so by the end, when you're in, you know, the fifth dimension, you know, when she goes to like Earth 11, then there's one where it's like prehistory, which is kind of like we we made that one up. <laughs> yeah. That was supposed to be, our editors like, were like, what is what, what is, what that is prehistory? Stuff? And we're, we're like, like, well, it's like all the places where like barbarian comics live, where like you know, uh, dinosaur comics live, like anything like that. This is like the dimension where that stuff happens, you know, <laughs> which was kind of fun. I mean, we're, we're, we're putting them in sexy loincloths don't overthink it that was yeah. that was in there it was like this Siggy is in a loincloth this is very important wrote that one in caps in bold <laughs> in italics like and this. Travis delivered like, yeah like we knew he would yeah I think for people that are paying attention um if you look at the multiverse map, we were beholden to it and we kind of moved through it in a way where you can almost, if you have the map, you can kind of draw a line and be like, 
No, that's exactly how Janus was cutting through these dimensions. And that's like where they went with very few exceptions. Um, part of it's our own logic kind of aligning with that map. And the other part is very much by design to be like, we're going to start in the sphere of the gods and then we're going to, we're going to move out of that into other dimensions and get closer and closer until we get back home. And hopefully we laid that breadcrumb trail well enough that, especially in retrospect, everything's most important in retrospect at the time you can be a little bit confused and be oh, like, right. what's going past. on? <laughs> but in retrospect, when you look at the whole picture and you, and you see like, okay, Oh, like, that makes sense. Yeah. You're just like, oh, that's, I'm glad. That then we just out. seem clever. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I, I like the idea that, you know, you can look at the multiverse map uh, that, that Grant came up with and, and get something out of that and, and kind of picture uh, Wonder Woman's path. Um, another version of that that I kept thinking of, remember the hallway from Scooby-Doo where they would just kind of keep going in and out of the doors mm. and, you yeah. know, across the hallway one side. It, I kind of kept, I kind of pictured that, except you actually see what's on the other side of the door instead of them just <laughs> popping out on the other side because Hanna-Barbera was too cheap to uh, animate multiple sets. You know, it's kind of a, it's funny you bring that up because that is a regret that I had immediately when we were done plotting this um, was, oh, why didn't we ask to do something with the Looney Tunes? Or with the Flintstones or something, because that is like a Warner Brothers property. Mm -hmm. It is something that they've integrated. Uh, it would have been so sick. Uh, <laughs> that might have been the the great jumping of the shark, though. You, you know, uh, it, step too far. <laughs> yeah, we were we knew we were pushing it with the fifth dimension. Uh, if we had gone full Looney Tunes, who knows? We might have we might have lost the readership, but um, you know. That's like kind of what we we're doing with, yeah. that's what we were doing with Afterworlds was like swinging big and doing weird things. And that one, um, which issue was that 778, I think that had like five different afterlifes and each one had like five pages or some five pages each or whatever. Mm -hmm. it was like that was when we finished the script for that, I was like, I cannot believe we, I feel like we wrote 20 scripts in like a day. Like it was wild. Oh yeah. And that's like <laughs> one of the great complaints is, oh, we want to spend more time and we want this and we want that. But you know, if you spend more time, people would complain that you're spending too much time. Exactly. So it's so. like, this is what we got. We did the most with the time that we were allowed. Um, we had big plans for this issue because when we started the arc, we had, planned out like what we where were we going with it so it's mm -hmm. like we knew that we only had four issues in asgard and we probably could have done a full six we probably could have done like two or three issues in fairyland you know there's like so much to to do there but it was just like we just don't have the time so, well, we don't got the time i, I mean if, any, if anybody says you didn't spend enough time in a certain place you just show them that nine issue collection when it comes <laughs> out yeah. You want to decompress storytelling? We gave it to you. Yeah. You put that on your lap long enough and you will become infertile. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Also, if you ever do want to revisit that Looney Tunes idea, Tom Kane Lee Weeks technically made that one Looney Tunes bar canon. So. So, so, you know what? Some of those Looney Tunes things from from a few years back were so 
incredibly outrageously good mm-hmm. um, that I felt like we could have made it happen. But, you know, that'll be the one of the great things that I look back on at, in the in the end of my days. <laughs> and I'm like, man, after Worlds, we really should have done a Lenny Tan thing. But, but we got to do Batmite. But in the end, so we got Batmite in there. So all good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just as a statement, I loved that bat mic bit. I, I'm a, a bat, Batman's my, my jam. And to treat that character with a degree of respect and pathos versus making him this sort of grating imp was pleasant to see. Well, I'm a non-abashed fan of Batmite, I think, um, and I love all iterations of Batmite. I love him as like a comedic foil, as an annoying thing, as Grant Morrison's kind of uh, sad and depressing representation of imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love it all. And so when we were approaching Batmite, we wanted to make it fun and light. But uh, hopefully insert something in there to to show like, hey, there's there's like a deeper quality to this character. And the, this isn't just a throwaway character. This is a character that's certainly part of DC history um, and one that I love very much. So it's good to know that a fellow Batmite fan uh, is down. And we got to introduce Wonder Mite, which was cool. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> talk about putting new toys in the in the in the toy box there you go because <laughs> uh we got some questions from the comics xf wonder woman review team of caprasal landria airs and uh they over the course of their reviews have fallen in love with siegfried and uh they kind of what was your intention when you introduced siegfried and have your plans for him changed as you wrote the run well, we, um, we were trying to populate Asgard with characters that were memorable and, um, you know, would be good for Diana to interact with, you know, who's, who's she going to meet here? How are they going to play a role in the story moving forward? And Siggy just like came up as like, oh, here's a character that hasn't been in the DC, because DC has all sorts of characters and you dig into history and it's like, oh, they've already got a Thor and Kirby created him and <laughs> like all this stuff where it's like these are characters that you know we wanted to bring someone new into the fold. Um, Siegfried seemed like the right character. Um, and we just kind of wrote him to be like the coolest guy you've ever met, kind of thing. <laughs> like everybody loves him. Um, he's the sweetheart. Uh, and someone who would support Diana kind of through like I don't want to say like a sidekick kind of thing, because I think he's more than that. Yeah. Um to, to... I think it's easy to it could have been a very dark story and we needed somebody who would who would make her feel good and feel okay you needed a friend uh, you needed a peer you needed somebody who um, who could act as an informant and somebody who could make her feel okay yeah, who's going to, like, introduce her to this, like, if this is her new home in Asgard, who's going to introduce her to this thing? And we loved the myths of Siegfried. You know, this dude killed dragons and was, like, a hero to his people, but also was flawed. And his flaws were uh, largely because of his, like, 
not ignorance, but his like naive naivete with regard to like matters of love, uh, which is like such an endearing thing. And then, so when I started drafting this, we talked long and hard about this. I started drafting it and I was writing him to be like long blonde hair flowing in the wind and like a face that never once had a, a hair on it and like just this beautiful like very caucasian man and becky w- was like you know what like this is a super white thing though we're <laughs> like it's asgard. asgard is so white <laughs> and and she was like but, but you know the vikings had so much trade you know they had so much like they would go places and just be like hey we're just going to settle down here like we're going to start trading so it's like they were a people who i think you know we wanted to populate asgard with more people than just caucasians and you know if you read through some of the history it's like oh brunhilde her brother in like the poetic era was this guy named atli who was like Attila the hun so does that mean brunhilde was like a hun you know yeah, so, so she was, she was able like, to provide a bunch of information that would kind of qualify him as pr- potentially being Persian. So we were just like, yeah, the, our version will be like this Persian dude. Still beautiful, still sick, like still all this, but let's make it not a, another boring white dude. Like, let's, let's add this element into it. Um, so the whole plan was we need somebody to like kind of not to take care of Diana. She is quite capable of taking care of herself, but it was kind of like giving her a gift. Like, oh, here's like a cool friend to have along it's the like, way. It's like, oh, you died. That really sucks. Here, have this guy sing it. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then when he shows up, he shows up with Travis drawing this oh, like God. absolute unit. And it's like, oh, like okay yeah like we made up this guy like let's go we always knew he was going to be a big part of the story we didn't realize that he was going to kind of grab people in the way that he has and we're very thankful that that he is there's a lot to him that like we haven't included on the page i've i've kind of talked a bit about it on twitter to people that have like asked um and I, don't, I, I won't go into it here and now, but um, there's a lot more to Siegfried than just uh, some sort of doofy dude who shows up and, and, and hangs out with Diana. He's a person with a lot of agency, a lot of power he's and strength loyal, and character. You know? he's, um, just a, he's a solid character for Diana to have yeah. in her corner. Um, so, yeah, that's a character that we want to explore more for sure. Yeah. Ratatosk was the other character that we that wasn't part of DC Comics, but right. we, we did it anyway. <laughs> and Ratatosk was the one that I wasn't immediately on board for. Yeah, Mike was like, what, a squirrel? No. We're going to do something in, <laughs> was in this Asgard. A <laughs> Becky's like, there's a squirrel that runs up and down this tree, and it communicates with like the serpent that lives in, in the roots and the eagle that lives in, in the tippy top. And I thought, like, wow, that that's uh, like a really compelling thing in myth, but like doing it in a comic, like I don't want to like I don't want this thing to be a joke or whatever. Uh, but then as we started writing Ratatosk and realizing, oh, the okay, this is a really dynamic messenger god trickster 
character, uh, there's a lot that can be done. I, I think especially, um, hopefully when people listen to this, they've read 779 and they see um, the Rat of Tosca that you thought you knew uh, was so much more, such a more critical element to the story. Um, and it's all revealed in like the very last 22 pages you know? <laughs> in two pages really you learn oh Ratatosk is uh there's a lot more to that character than we knew this whole time nine issues woo, woo. <laughs> so yeah so we are a couple weeks out from the wrap of the midnighter backups that you've been doing since future state uh what about midnighter speaks to you as a character mm, so much i mean when we when we took on that job <clears throat> like the thing like the kind of lame description that everyone gives is like oh midnight is like a violent gay batman and yeah that's kind of like the broad strokes of it but there's so much more to that character and so much that we we touched on you know we, we were dealing with backups and, and with an annual so it's kind of very focused on this plot driven story with character elements um, kind of drizzled on top um, one of the things that I love about Midnighter is that he is a hero for sure um, but he's not a hero that would ever work in the real world. You would never want to know this guy. You'd never want to mess with him. You'd never want to be on a team with him. Never want to be on a team with him. You'd never, like, it's repugnant. It's awful. Like, there were things that we wrote in the Midnighter backups that I legitimately based on, we love true crime. I legitimately based some of the stuff off of like these ideas about the sociopathic killers, people who can't feel empathy for, for those that they victimize. And we wanted to do a thing that, um, that didn't negate that, but we also wanted to show, oh, within Midnighter is this capacity to feel and there's an emotive quality. And, and truly uh, the story of his engagement with Trojan is, Trojan is someone who has willfully turned off their capacity to feel compassion and emotion and to care and to love. And it's only through that that Midnighter is able to, to succeed in his mission. It's only through his capacity to, even in this uh, seemingly icy cold exterior, to be able to... Uh, to succeed and it's very much through his love for for apollo and for shiloh and for the for the world at large um so that's very that was very fun and very good also very fun and very good is being able to write a queer character in the pages of uh action, action comics, comics. Yeah. you know like whoever thought like i don't know i was born in 79 baby <laughs> My for the bulk of my life, the idea of being gay was awful. Uh, so to have somebody be a hero and a hero in a book that pretty much anyone can access shows okay, the world has changed and the world has grown more compassionate, more accepting. Uh, it's developed, and we get to be a part of this 
growth and development and uh, exposure and what a huge honor yeah the uh, fact that it was in action comics was like huge but it was also a thing that made the book so challenging because here is midnighter known to be ultra violent known to just be like a nasty boy and we have to be like i don't want to say we had to put on kitty gloves for well, it but there was definitely like times when we have to couldn't like, even say damn yeah so you know, was, they're like, like we, we aren't saying damn we aren't doing growlics for swears yeah no growlics <laughs> like we had to be like as like hard we had to come as hard as we could but like within the confines of action comics which just just you have to be very creative and and making people know that like okay we're this isn't a kitty book we're not dumbing it down but we also have to just be careful about what we do even in the in the annual we got to be a little bit more free with that oh yeah we were but, but we did have a scene where we wanted apollo's fine ass to show Oh, yeah. And they had us throw them in some uh, skimmings. Yeah. So, you know, it's like make them, make them tidy ways. And, and really, away just Oming, Oming, first of all, working with Michael Oming was like a dream because I've been a fan of his for like years and years since Powers. I read all those. And he's incredible. And Taki Soma coloring him, it just, the book had such a cool look. It's like, I didn't know that he would fit at first. I remember when Jamie was like, Hey, we're thinking about calling in Oming on this. I knew he was a legend, I knew that he was capable, but I was like, I don't know if it's gonna with Midnighter, like, I don't know if it's gonna work. It's so weird, it's so like, it's so comics, it's so much fun, it's so perfect. And he would elevate every every page and every panel. Uh, it was always surprising. He would always take something that was, hey, could you do this? And he would just turn up the volume to 11, send it back, and it's like, all right, man, you're you're making me look like a freak, and I'm here for it. So, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's great. Uh, him and, and Taki Soma, um, two of the finest uh, folks in the business, such a pleasure to work with them. And I think we created something really unique and really lasting with Midnighter. Did you have the story idea about transhumanism somewhere and then think, you know, with the fight computer in his head, Midnighter fits this concept? Or did you have Midnighter as something to write and then sort of backed into the transhumanism as knowing you're writing that character? This, the story that we did in Action Comics spun out of the future state stuff, which was a ploy, really. We, when we wrote the future state thing, we wrote a, we wrote a bootstrap paradox and we had the wrong Midnighter come back to Earth. And, and then we were like, see, now we have to write more Midnighter. <laughs> we just, we messed it up, guys. Sorry, we need to do more. It's like, you want to you have Grant Morrison write this character in the future? You better let us fix this. Yeah, we, we messed up. We gotta, <clears throat> we gotta do something about it. So that um, going in, we knew like um, Trojan was the bad guy, the you know opposition in the future state story, um, and he was part of it was just like how do we create a villain for Midnighter that's like specifically for him, and obviously it was like well he's got this computer chip in his brain which is susceptible to viruses. Why don't we give this character, you know, in the end? Yeah, that was kind of the first idea was a virus. Yeah, which is why andre trojan is named trojan like a trojan horse virus um 
And then that was the whole, it just spun out. Well, yeah, that. it was like, let's personify this and let's build a whole mentality around this. And a lot of Trojan, um, for us, we, we both are very interested in, there was a cult called Om Shinrikyo in Japan. They were responsible, for, I think it was in 97, they did a sarin gas bombing in uh, the Tokyo subway system awful stuff but a really interesting story behind uh what this kind of cult and this belief system was about uh you take that and you kind of marry it with like a with like an elon musk type of character and then the uh third element was uh i love david blaine the famed uh stage magician in David Blaine, there's like a, a pretty famous like anecdote about him uh, having watched his mother die of cancer when he was quite young. And that kind of inspired him to experiment with pain and to learn how to transcend pain uh, because he saw his mother suffer so much. Um, so, so much of his David Blaine's like a superhero among people or at least among entertainers. Mm-hmm. And it was born out of this like coping strategy for pain. And for people who read the Midnighter Annual, um, there's a sequence in there that, that kind of shows some of Trojan's backstory. And it was very much for me inspired by uh, this person I admire a lot, David Blaine, uh, and like how that could go wrong, how you could take that type of lesson and... Um, just apply it in completely the most inappropriate way. Yeah, your pain coping strategy can be a positive thing and it can make you a good compassionate member of the community or you can turn it off entirely and become a completely uh, terrible person, (laughs) which uh, seems to be uh, part and parcel for people who make a lot of money anyway. So (laughs) (laughs) whoop, there it is. So part of that was okay this guy Trojan also has a computer in his brain he's kind of like the perfect he's like the other side of the coin to Midnighter you know yeah what if it's not about kicking and punching and what if it's about predicting market trends yeah what if it's about knowing that dog coin is gonna or doge coin or whatever is gonna be worth more money or like what if you can do it that way uh you could be a hero or a villain that way yeah Uh, it seems more likely you'd be a villain (laughs) I don't know. It just, I don't know anything yeah. about money. Yeah. It just kind of made sense. And the whole storyline kind of developed based on, you know, trying to flesh out this villain for Midnighter. I love transhumanism as, as a concept. I love it. Like, I'll never get tired of, of thinking about it and talking about it. So through this device with a man whose uh, superhero career is very much defined by in big part by this this thing in him that is no longer human um it's both terrifying and, and very interesting and so yeah that part of midnighter will never get boring to me did you have to you know set up a conspiracy you know serial killer wall yes. to keep all the time travel paradox straight because Yes. Paradoxes make my head swim. <laughs> and you had to not just keep this loop straight, but you also had to have some idea of the previous iterations that we hadn't seen as well. 
I made a chart. Becky made a chart. We <laughs> talked about it one day until I became physically ill. I made my call. <laughs> uh, yeah. I would like go into the, like we have our own separate rooms for working. Um, and this is how we don't murder each other, I suppose. Uh, we, Michael would be like, okay, like I sent you the, the this is the new script, the final script, like look, at, take a look. And then I would look at it and I'd be like, I'd go back to my chart and I'd be like, something doesn't make sense. And then I'd redraw the chart and I'd be like, okay, there's a, there's another loop. Like we got to figure this out. And then I would like walk over like Michael's door, knock, 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 come in. And then I'd talk to him a little bit more about it. And you could see on his face, he's like, just wants me to leave. <laughs> yeah, I heard some people say like, "Oh, it's too, it's too easy," or it's and they're making it seem too complex. It's like, motherfucker, this is complex. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, if it feels easy, then it's then, then we we've done our, our job right? well. Yeah, we spent a lot of time, and we know it's comics. We know we can fudge some of the numbers and stuff, but. We also wanted, you know, like, I love time travel stuff. I love Primer. I love 12 Monkeys. I love the goddamn, uh, the dude's wife, Time Traveler's wife. <laughs> I <laughs> love it all. The notebook. I love the notebook. I love anything. With, if you're going to do time traveling, let's go. I'm here for it. Uh, and just like everyone that loves time traveling, I equally like to debunk it in my own dumb head. And we wanted to make sure if you're going to debunk this, you got to be smarter than us combined, which isn't a difficult task. Uh, but we wanted to give it our best go to make it be like, okay, like they really, they at least considered these things. So uh, yeah, it, it, there was a serial killer wall. Uh, it made me physically ill. It was Becky's doing. Uh, <laughs> I thought I had it figured out a number of times in the process of doing this. Um, and it was only because of the, the charts and graphs that we, that we ended up where we were. <laughs> oh, never again. <laughs> she says this as we're working on another time travel story. <laughs> this one's different. Yeah. It's different so so grant morrison's multiverse map easier to understand than the uh time trap keeping all the uh paradox time travel paradoxes straight yes because my handwriting is horrible it's so <laughs> bad i can't even read it like it's just you know if if i write something down i'll have to decode it later the multiverse map is just something somebody made up right it's like you look at it and you're like okay this is neat but time is like a thing, man. You know, it's like a thing that everyone has a relationship with. Yeah, everyone experiences. And everyone thinks that they understand how time travel works. And we did our due diligence to try and kind of thread the needle of a variety of different ideas of how time travel works. We didn't do it right. Oh yeah, uh, there's a there's a boom tube and a mother box. Like these things don't exist. Yeah. So like, <laughs> that's not right. That ain't right. Uh, but also... Uh, it was you know, the difficulty with having the two characters switch places. So it's like, okay, then what happens to, like... If we didn't have prime? to fix the problem, it would have been easy. But we had a problem. We created a paradox. And it's like, the whole thing purpose. about a paradox is there's no answer to it. So to answer a paradox requires um, 
some fudgery, uh, which, you know, enter Mr. Miracle. miracle. Bingo. Mm -hmm. It's a miracle, (laughs) y'all. It's in the name. Uh, So, yeah, it turns out he didn't even have to be there. So as we begin the wind down of the night, we like to ask our guests about their pets. So tell us about your cats. Oh, goodness. So we've got two cats. They're floating around here somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, they're uh, my sister's cats. And she is uh, not uh, in a place where she's able to have them right now. So we've had them for about two years. They hated Michael at first. They took maybe True. like a year and a half. Through no fault of my own. No, I'm a just, generous and giving and loving man. They don't like men. Yeah. That's the thing. I suspect that some man did them dirty at some point. But a beautiful thing happened some months ago, and one of them has accepted me and has begun to sit in my lap, and that's great. Yeah. The other one, uh, not a whole lot of love from him, except Becky went to visit family a week ago. And during the time that she was gone, this cat, the fat cat. We call him fatty. Yeah, really? he came and sat in my lap, and yeah. it was such a such a beautiful moment. Yeah. They're such incredible, thoughtful, spiritual animals. They're, they've never done a don't work speak in their poorly life. about these beautiful, beloved animals of ours. Don't know what's going on. <laughs> they haven't they haven't a thought in their sweet little heads. <laughs> they um, yeah, the fat one and Mister Man. Or we call him pegs sometimes because when he stands on you, it feels like he's got four little pegs really just digging into your lap. So that's that's the cats. Yeah. Love love them. They might be ours now. We're not sure. We love don't um, we don't know if if they're gonna, gonna pull them from my cold dead hands. Yeah. <laughs> Good foster cats. I still call them foster cats, but I'm like, you'll never get them back. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Um, what are you What are you both reading right now? You go first. You want me to go first? Okay, so I'm reading a couple of different things uh, as I'm want to do. Um, <clears throat> I'm reading a, or I'm I shouldn't say I'm reading that. That's lying. Well, maybe by the time this airs, I'll have actually cracked the cover. But three body problem. Um, I can't recall the name of the author right now. Uh, very famous uh, Chinese sci-fi writer. Apparently it's going to be a, uh, a Netflix series. Uh, the reason I got it is a friend of mine said, hey, I think you would like this. So it's sitting at my bedside. Uh, <clears throat> beyond that, what I'm reading is I just got the Grant Morrison Batman Omnibus. Oh. Um, in part because we're going to be doing... Um, Batgirl's backups in the Batman yeah. comics. Mm-hmm. Um, in other part, because I love Batman R as a concept uh, and what uh, Grant Morrison did with R. I always love these like funky little side characters. Like I recently in Superman Red and Blue, I, I wrote um, like a Bizarro story. I've always loved Bizarro. I love Batmite. I love Zuranar. I love these funky kind of silver age relics. And I especially love when they, when they get kind of retooled and revamped and 
reframed in a way that um, gives them a quality beyond being this, oh, there was this campy thing. So Zerinar, of course, speaks to my sensibilities. It's the first omnibus I've ever bought. I don't like the omnibus format, but it was the only way that I could get this. Like I could have spent the same amount of money to get like the trade that it's in. I was like, ah, oh, what the hell? I'll, I'll get this. So now I have to get like two more on the bus to finish my my Grant Morrison Batman run. Uh, I know. <laughs> Becky just for for my birthday got me. Uh, is it called Vagabond? It is Vagabond by Takahiko Inoue, who did Slam Dunk. Um, it's an incredible book. I've read maybe twelve volumes of it, and the it's like thirty something volumes long. So, and I, for whatever reason, I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Like it's just been on my mind for like the past couple months. And so for his birthday, I was like, well, you've never read it. So that's obviously what I'm going to get him so I can read it again. Chunky first <laughs> but it's three volumes. The first three books in one, like, I think it's, is it Biz? But it kind of... She's literally walking Yeah, it's, it's Biz. Biz is putting it out in these like really cool oversized, like three books in one. Yeah. kind of thing so what's that that's a that's a manga that's, that's a that's a book and that's a comic book yeah that will cover what i'm yeah. right now i just did vagabond that's mine vagabond yeah well i was up you, in new hampshire I, start, I started well i will read it i started rereading um my mom got me a book for christmas that i just i had like started and then stopped and then started and stopped and I don't know if it's the best book in the world it's called The Merchant's Partner and it's like a medieval murder mystery and sometimes she'll just buy me a book because she's like mm. oh you, you like these both of these things so here I have this book um <laughs> it's very thoughtful and sweet and I'm enjoying it um but it's slow for me to just it's just hard for me to want to read it you know so I was just up visiting my mom and I took it with me and a, a few nights I was like in bed I'd read like half a chapter and then like fall immediately asleep which is probably why I don't get any reading done <laughs> there's a lot of other stuff that we're reading too but if I if we said what it was then it would spoil uh, mm -hmm. some big reveals for the future yeah so. my brother's a lot of like homework type reading I love it. That's like part of like fun thing about working in comics is sometimes it's like, hey, read like 90 issues over the next few days. And it's, for me, it's like, yeah, okay. Like, can I, can you send me a PDF? And sometimes I do. And sometimes I end up uh, going down to the comic store and spending all the money that I might make on a project being like, give me everything that Swamp Thing ever was. <laughs> And that's cool too. You can write that off though. Yeah, write offs. Yeah. I'm a tax whiz. <laughs> catch me. Catch me on the run. <laughs> I hope the IRS isn't listening to this. Uh, well, uh, Becky, uh, Michael, this has been uh, a fantastic time. Final question uh, How can people follow you online and keep up with uh, all your work on Wonder Woman, Midnighter? Uh, Batgirls coming up, etc. Becky's easy. Uh, it's just at Becky Clunan on Instagram, at Becky Clunan on Twitter. Yeah, those are like the only two. And uh, she won't burden you with with any BS or anything. I don't, I'm not super active on the internet. I am a little bit. So she's pretty active. Good artwork. She's doing. She's drawing a sword a day right now. It's so sick. So fun. <laughs> sword timber. Becky Clunan. 
at Becky Clunan, Twitter and Instagram. And for me, Michael W. Conrad on both of those same platforms, uh, I'm a little more bothersome. I've got a lot to say all the time. And anyone that's uh, paid attention throughout the course of this interview understands that I've got um, too much to say, which is why I'm a writer, because then I can be saying things when people aren't even listening. And I just feed my words directly into their brain piece. Uh, but yeah, you can find me on Instagram and, and Twitter. Sometimes I draw. Most of the time, I'm just Michael's really. If you want the updates, follow Michael. I got um, good updates. I'm not. We're rewatching the, the Wire. Loving oh, it. Loving it. Uh, Michael could have a whole podcast about rewatching the Wire. Watching the Wire Room 104. We just watched that, that great fun. program. Love it. Centaur Worlds. Also love it great oh my god so out so of good. pocket so strange <laughs> so much good media right now it's so hard to like it's so hard to keep up because everything's cool i haven't been angry about much everything is just like wow that's super neat wandavision oh so good loki so good i can't complain green knight green knight we in hog heaven baby unbelievable yeah and there's a new Candyman out. Candyman. Don't say it a bunch of times while looking in a mirror, baby. Here come some bees. You know? <laughs> uh, yes, it's, it's a golden age to, of content to distract us from the horrors outside. <laughs> you have to. You got to stay distracted. Quit looking at the news. Start looking at some superhero content like good old Wonder Woman. Forget about the fact that your rights are being quietly eroded under your nose. <laughs> stay, stay, uh, stay pacified. Here we come. Now, we'll stay informed, but also read comics. Stay informed. Do the good thing. Take care of your neighbor. Love one another. If you like superheroes, start acting like it. Be kind. <laughs> Let's go, baby. Wonder Woman, Midnighter, Batgirls. Becky Clinton, Michael W. Conrad, we out here. <laughs> Perfect note to end on. Thank you guys so much for doing the show. Thank Bless you. you. Thank you so much. Really a pleasure. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, meaning you can find this podcast along with our sister podcast, Battle of the Atom and Chris's on Infinite Earths, and a ton of great comics criticism at comicsxf.com. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. A $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail from my collection, a $3 donation gets you a slot in the Comics XF staff picks, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from Toxman at ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. the Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, Batman has a plan for everything. 
He even has a plan for you, my child. W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.